Hello and welcome to Straight Talk, Supply Chain Insights, the podcast for your supply chain leader who is on the go and wants to be in the know. And now, your host, Laura Sassiri. Welcome to Straight Talk with Supply Chain Insights. My name is Laura Sassiri, and today I'm interviewing Sean Snap. Sean is the founder of Brightwork, which is a research firm looking at technology and how people can maximize usage. Sean, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. Hey, Sean, tell the group a little bit about yourself. You're sort of in a unique role. Tell the group what you do. Sure, yeah. So probably uh, the, um, one of the interesting things is that my background is in implementation. And so I, didn't, I never started as an analyst, uh, never worked uh, for an analyst entity, and really started as a, uh, you know, the, the articles uh, more from a uh, technical writing perspective to figure out what was true uh, inside of systems. And then from there, you know, basically um, ended up uh, growing the site um, and moving in a number of different directions uh, that are not always related to just how to get a system to work properly. Um, and so now we, we know, um, I, I, or we cover, um, items that, uh, range anywhere from, you know, uh, the technical aspects of whether, uh, software does what it says that it does, uh, all the way up to licensing or to, um, implementation, uh, experiences that a particular product will have, uh, globally. And so because of the publishing, um, I end up getting a lot of, uh, information from, from places all, uh, or from, from uh, implementations all over, uh, uh, all over the globe that, uh, you know, sort of begin to form a, a research uh, database um, uh, of, of, of what, act is, what is actually happening. And so uh, probably in the, in the, in the, uh, the future, it'll be sort of more of the similar type of work, but it'll, it'll uh, grow and we're growing into things like, um, you know, doing polls and that type of thing that I'll talk about a little later on. Well, awesome. So, Sean, you know, I love how you're independent and you state your opinion. Let's talk a little bit about things that are near and dear business leaders' hearts. What's your view on the value and evolution of SAP's HANA framework and how should business leaders think about it? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so just to actually build on that earlier uh, point, which I should have I should have highlighted. Uh, yeah. Brightwork research and analysis is totally independent of any um, any vendor. And so we can um, we can write whatever is true without uh, being concerned as to uh, which vendor is happy with it or, or not happy with it. And, and pretty much just just it, it's it's kind of an interesting uh, point because we're sometimes told to be to be positive um in some direction and and basically no matter what you write um there's going to be someone who's not going to uh like the output so it's really not possible to produce research that makes every every single person happy because even if you produce something that says something is good uh, the items that it's competing against uh, is, that is seen as a negative uh conclusion um so uh, getting into the the uh the hana topic um you know, HANA is actually a fascinating um, story, um, you know, from, from, you know, its beginnings to, to the present day. And uh, we're going to be following it, um, you know, intensively uh, into the future. And so, you know, basically the, the um, we have around 100 articles on HANA right now. 
And so there are so many different dimensions to discuss on HANA that, you know, that could be um, several podcasts. Um, so it's sort of like you have to choose what are some of the most interesting things. And so what, what I'd like to focus on is, um, you know, how HANA was introduced and um, how it's, how the messaging around it was repeated uh, by companies that are partners with SAP. And then over time, um, what, what turned out to actually be true. And it turns out that uh, there's no doubt at this point that there is a large difference between what was originally proposed about HANA and what has now turned out to be uh, true um, about HANA. And so the, one, of the, one of the primary technical areas of HANA that sort of romanced uh, the industry or that people found extremely appealing was that you could have this amazing performance from a database that could um, provide that performance in two uh, very different dimensions. And, and one being uh, what we call transaction processing, uh, which is a type of thing that ERP systems do, which is um, something like uh, you know posting goods issue or updating um, uh, you know a, a financial transaction, um, and and that is actually the the uh, the core of uh, of ERP. So the history of ERP systems uh, has been to run on top of um, what are called row oriented databases. And they've worked uh, very well in supporting that type of system. So transaction processing has a long history. Um, the earliest computers um, that, that were related to, in, at least commercially um, implemented, were uh, supporting banks and still support banks that do things like transaction processing. And the other type of uh, processing is uh, analytics. And um, so the last uh, decade, we've been in a very big um, analytics uh, bubble is probably a good word um, where, you know, analytics is, is driving a lot of software purchases and is considered to be a major uh, reason uh, or focus that IT companies should have and that it's is supposed to lead to very good business outcomes. And so analytics are a different uh, processing uh, type and they are uh, optimized by using a different database design. And so what, what SAP proposed with HANA was that you could achieve um, sort of miraculous benefits through a um, completely innovative and new technology that only they had created that would enable one uh, database to meet both of these processing requirements, right? So that was, uh, that was the primary selling point um, uh, of, uh, of HANA. And uh, th this was sort of, this was also combined with an emphasis point on the part of uh, SAP that that essentially one of the primary problems with companies is that they didn't have enough performance in databases. Okay, so, so um, uh, that actually is also another thing we found that is not, uh, not correct, but it was, it was done for, uh, for kind of obvious reasons, right, in order to sell, to sell HANA. And so that, that, that is, uh, uh, you know, the, that, that is the fundamental, um, argument or sales, um, uh, you know, uh, point that was made about HANA. And then the, the, the long-term uh, strategy uh, of HANA was to replace the other databases that, that uh, were being used with SAP. So something that's important for all the, 
users to uh, all the all the uh, listeners to know is that um, SAP has had a long term history of being of, of, of being open to uh, multiple databases, uh, the most prominent being Oracle and DB2. And uh, they basically switched that strategy with HANA uh, to say that you were the companies were going to have to use HANA. Um, so they, they made the performance benefit, but at least for one of the applications, they restricted any other database except for HANA, right? So, so it wasn't, you can't run their new ERP system called S4 HANA on any database except for HANA, right? So they make the performance argument, but then they also strictly limit through um, certification uh, what, what you can use. And they had planned to actually expand that to, to as many of their applications as possible so that they basically took the business away from uh, the competing vendors. Um, so, so, um, so from the from the business person's uh, perspective, um, you know the the conclusion that that uh, that we have come to in probably doing the most analysis on this of any um, of any research entity is that um, is that the, the companies that actually followed this course on HANA did not benefit uh, from doing this. And that it really absorbed a lot of resources from uh, from other things. So, for instance, I was working on a project, and I, I had proposed a uh, you know relatively uh, reasonably priced or low, in fact, uh, you know low, low cost um, testing project for uh, for for improving forecasting. And that you know it was denied because uh, they said they didn't have the budget. And it was interesting because in the in the same um, you know, I, I was on the corporate email and it was announced that, that, um, you know, they were still going through their HANA implementation, you know, so they had, they had spent all this money, uh, on, on the HANA implementation and they didn't have budget for really basic business improvement items, uh, that I thought were, um, certainly far higher in priority. In fact, I think the HANA implementation should have been no priority. I don't think it actually should have been done at all. Um, and so that that's actually, um, I think, something that the business should know that there's a lot of money being spent on technical items that, um, you know, in the SAP space and the Oracle space and other spaces um, that don't actually really benefit the business very much. Um, they're really more uh, prestige projects for, for the IT department. Um, and that's something we're going to be getting into more, um, I think, as we um, as we progress, because we focus so much on holding to account the vendors and the consulting companies, but we haven't really done that much in holding, um, you know, uh, account the IT decision makers. Um, and, and it, you know, as, as people like to say, it takes two to tango. So Sean, let me interrupt you. <clears throat> One of the concerns business users have is, you know, SAP, APO, end of life, and the evolution of SAP, IBP on HANA and the need to migrate just to keep SAP going. I mean, people have invested a lot in SAP. And what do you tell them? Uh, you know, is HANA a necessary migration path? Or... Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, so uh, it is not. Um, so companies that use, um, that use HANA with IDP um, or think that that's gonna be a major uh, beneficial uh, or uh, beneficial item um, are, are incorrect. Uh, so uh, there's another there's another very serious issue with understanding on on this topic, which is that um, supply chain planning systems 
um, are not analytic engines. Um, you know, so they, they have analytic, analytical aspects to them, but that's not primarily what they do. HANA is an optimized database for analytics. That's really the only thing that it, it does well, and it doesn't have any performance uh, advantages over competing uh, databases, in fact. In fact, it lags them in our, in our uh, um, uh, data points that come in from uh, various locations um, globally. So, uh, so I've actually been to Sapphire and I've seen the, um, you know, and I've seen other uh, publications on the part of uh, SAP on IDP, and I have an article that I can forward to anyone who's interested in reading it to you, Laura, um, and, uh, and and for you to read, uh, which is that the the um, the IDP lot the, the IDP logic or the IDP sales points is 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 very tr they're very trendy, you know they're they're picking up on all these things like um you know machine learning and and all the all the hottest and sexiest new stuff uh but it the, the it doesn't really have a lot to do with what um supply chain planning is really about right what 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 makes a good supply chain planning system those those types of items are not the are not primary drivers um to the to those to those applications that is demand planning supply planning production planning is kind of the core um, applications within supply chain planning. Um, so I, I think that companies should be very, I get a lot of questions around IBP and IBP is still not that uh, widely implemented, right? Um, and the thing I'm not getting is questions about what happened with APO. And I think that's a huge story that you followed, you, you, you've written on Laura and I have written on um, and um, and I, I have been an APO consultant myself. I still am, in fact. And uh, the the uh, the outcomes for APO since APO was first introduced until uh, right now um, has been extremely poor for companies that purchased it. Right, and I say this as a person who has been um, doing it myself. Right. Uh, so both doing it and um, the, doing the implementations and actually observing the outcomes of previous implementations, right? Because there's always history when you when you arrive at a at a project as a consultant. And I think that this gets to kind of the central uh, problem. And we'll talk about testing. I know later on, which is that the the testing of the outcomes is not done in IT, um, and so you don't actually know what the history was of something. And you move on to the next thing before you've evaluated what what happened with the last thing. So if we look at the the, the history of APO being, you know, uh, roughly depending upon how you want to count it, you know, let's say it's between somewhere 15 and and uh, 18 years. Um, uh, you know, very few companies have received a benefit from their APO investment. And in fact, if there's any uh, if we take a look at demand planning, um, I can go into any DP account globally and improve forecasting uh, over what they have without even doing uh, that much work on my part because DP, the application itself is so weak. Uh, so I think that the company should look back as to what the history is with APO and then, and then, and then uh, determine if that should credit or debit SAP's credibility going forward before they decide that they're gonna jump over to IBP. Because if what SAP said about APO isn't true, um, for all those years, then why would you listen to them for what uh, what kind of outcomes you can you can expect from IBP? But Sean, APO is going away. 
right? I mean, I hear different stories, whether it's 2025 or 2028. Uh, right, right. In the migration IBP, I don't find a lot of strong reference accounts. Usually right, the calls right. go something like, you know, I've installed it for a million and a half and I've done a million dollars worth of upgrades and still not really happy with it, but it runs and I use Excel spreadsheets and enter the data manually. Uh, so the optimizers are still, I think, an issue. But what do people do? Do they just write off the APO investment? Yes. Well, first of all, I, I agree with everything you just said, uh, because that's been the, the exact experience uh, uh, that I've had. Um, so we're seeing the same thing. And, uh, and in terms of what to do, uh, yes, I would write off the investments in, in APO. If there's an APO application, if you look at, for instance, uh, you made the statement about, about optimizers. And if, if um, if anyone who watches this podcast or follows you is interested, um, I have the detailed articles as to how the um, how the SNP PPDS optimizer um, how they work and what and and uh, and what the outcomes are. And this is from quite a few projects that uh, that this information comes from. And the conclusion is that there is no way to get those optimizers to actually work on accounts. You can get them to work. I mean, they'll produce a mathematical outcome or or, or an output, um, but they do not provide a functional um, um, output that's actually usable. The PPDS optimizer being actually worse, uh, far worse than the SMP optimizer, uh, but but both of them are um, are a wash, right? So I would say the answer, and and, and let, let's let's be specific too that a lot of the APO modules have already been written off. SPP is non-functional uh, where it's implemented. Uh, EWM is, a, is also a dead module. Uh, you know, P PPDS has declined greatly in its implementation. So a lot of these modules have, in, in essence, been written off. It's a question of the ones that are sort of semi-functional, which I put, the, I put SNP and DP into that category, uh, what should you do with them? And I think the answer is actually the same on both of those that you either entirely write them off or you can uh, modify them, but you can't, you can't really improve them without using another application. So I think we're back to this, you're back to sort of the same conclusion that, um, that you use other applications in order to augment them, but eventually write them off. One of the things that I, I actually do on projects is I recover DP uh, or SNT, but I use an external application. And one of the reasons I have to do that is because the IT department is unwilling to admit that they invested all this money in an application that doesn't work. Or let me rephrase, that doesn't work to a degree where it's really useful. I mean, it functions as a system, but it's not really adding value and it's, and it's taking up resources from systems that could, could add value. You, you are more aware than, uh, than I am that there are uh, some very good demand planning, production planning, and, uh, and, and supply planning applications out there that could be leveraged um, if the budgets opened up from these, these non-performant SAP APO modules that are consuming resources. Yeah, I, I hear you, Sean, but we get into a dialogue of the value of the SIF interface with APO, and, you know, my research shows that the average client has five to seven ERP systems. I actually have 
clients that have 100 ERP systems. This is not a small issue. Uh, and, you know, people will have seven to nine APS systems, you know, and global deployments. Is there value in the SIF interface as we think about this evolution, or do we just throw that away too? So, um, so then the, 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 I like to answer. I like to answer the the second part. So, it, of course, if you do uh, move away from from APO, you move away from the SIF interface. So then, yes, you would. Uh, but to to answer the first question, I think I think we have the horse in in front of the carriage, right? Or excuse me, uh, behind the carriage with with the with the um, the concept because you know integration is actually a small component of the overall total cost of ownership of an application so we we do a lot of tco uh, and i can send the links um they're actually online calculators and they're they they have regression formulas behind them that that create uh tcos and project planning uh for about um you know i think it's 53 different applications that we have um and the, the the problem with 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 that framework is that it it puts integration as the primary reason, and the primary reason and this is coming from a person who's an IT person really you know I mean uh, that's my background, but the the uh, the the primary driver should never be integration. The primary driver is business value. It's the application's capability to match the business business requirements. That is what should be um, the primary focus, right? So, um, so if 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 an application has so much overhead and and does such a poor job meeting business requirements, then yes, it should be replaced by a better uh, application or you know custom solution, whatever. Um, and then and then you and then you you create the integration harness that you need to to create, right? So I mean the the, the, the SIF. If you, it, I have a lot of experience working with the SIF. And it's not, um, you know, it, 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 it is doing the, 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 the things that are necessary to, to make APO run, but it's just an adapter, right? I mean, an IT department should have a confidence to create uh, an adapter to make a, an application uh, function properly. And as you know, all the, um, the, the, uh, the supply chain planning vendors that I'm aware of, they also have adapters in various levels of uh, appropriateness, depending upon requirements uh, that at least you can start off using that also connect to SAP. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think that the, that the argument of the investment into integration should be used to justify the, the, uh, the continued support for, uh, for these applications, because these applications consume a lot of resources and they cause a lot of frustration on the part of business users and they reduce business value up to those users. You know, you're speaking in the choir here and that's one of the reasons why I poked you. You know, I've always written <laughs> that integration is the easy part that, you know, many times best of breed uh, vendors do SAP integration better than SAP and the SIF interface. But we perpetuate perpetuated this myth that integration was a sufficient reason to buy from the same vendor, even though often it was only the same vendor on the contract. Uh, you know, in reflection, how did this happen? Was this CIOs asleep at the will? Was this uh, consultants that were trying to sell software that they got kickbacks on? Was it Industry analysts not doing their job, all of the above. What's your perspective? 
Yeah, I think I think it's all of the above. Uh, for, first of all, so I, I, I'm in uh, total agreement, and I think that everything you pointed out has been a problem. Um, and um, you know, there's a, there's a problem in the analysts um, in that they uh, drive companies to the higher cost solutions. Um, you know, because they they highlight the the companies that have integrated suites. You know, if, if you look at the Gartner coverage on on supply chain, they don't even cover demand planning as a, as a specific area. They cover suites, right? Well, you know, there's a there's um you know uh, there are vendors that are very good, but they're they don't have a suite. So how how do they rank in that in that type of framework, right? They they don't, um, and so you end up with basically a bunch of mediocre. Uh, solutions, and they say, "Well, okay, it's a, it's a it's a suite, right?" I mean, actually, the this gets back to even a, the topic related to you know running MRP. I mean, we we have a lot of uh, information on this that um, you you know listeners can either believe it or they can read the direct uh, the direct articles and and the book on the topic, which is uh, that why are companies even running MRP from ERP systems in the first place? If if you run um, MRP, and MRP is like you know the most basic of the procedures in supply planning. So if you run MRP in an ERP system and you run it in an external supply planning system, you're far better off running it in the external uh, supply planning system. You just have way far more options. It's much more uh, transparent as to what's going on. It's far easier to troubleshoot, right? Uh, MRP inside of ERP systems is, is, is really a bad deal. Um, and, you know, you do it because it's, it's integrated, you know, but, but, uh, that's nice, but that doesn't really replace the functionality being uh, being uh, far better, or the application being actually designed to to run it. Um, so, so it, it it's been in a way sort of a simplistic platitude. Um, it's a heuristic that's been that's been applied that hasn't been properly investigated as to whether it's true, right? So, so people will say if I buy all these uh, these items from one vendor. Uh, then they'll be integrated, right? Well, well, something also is left out of that, which is you just given up a lot of negotiating leverage to a single vendor. And when you do that, you're going to find that um, you're going to have a lot less responsive vendors than if you had gone out and selected the right applications that uh, that actually fit your requirements, right? And, and this idea to, that, that IT departments are afraid of integration, I find very bizarre. I mean, I, I've done integration myself, and let, let's go through the steps, right? You extract data from the database, you transform the data uh, using a transformation language, and you import that data into another database of another application. If you're afraid to do that as an IT department, then you should not be working in IT, okay? Because that's a foundational topic. I mean, I have people ask me questions, is can an application be integrated to another application? You know, A application be integrated to B application. And, and it's like, this is another foundational item. Any application can be connected to any application, right? It's just a matter of how the data uh, is extracted, how it's transformed, and then how it's imported to another, another uh, uh, you know, another um, application. Uh, so, yes. Let me just interrupt you because you and I agree here, but, you know, I find a lot of pushback. I was talking to a chief digital officer the other day, and I was talking about the evolution of non-SQL and open source and new forms of analytics, which, you know, HANA, I find, is actually lower performance on time-fused analytics than uh, best-of-breed solutions. And 
definitely not as good or a higher value than you know the non-SQL work that's happening on open source. And he said to me, Laura, what you don't understand is I can't manage. I just physically cannot manage. This is a company that's uh, sixty billion dollars. All of these contracts and all of these vendor relationships, it's just not manageable. And, you know, I'm like, hmm, let me think about this, because I think at the IT level, I, I totally agree with you. But what about, you know, managing all these vendor relationships and the upgrades and, you know, the consolidations and the evolution and the training? Does that change your perspective at all? Um, I, I think that, you know, if we, if we step back a bit, um, we can say that that's a prime motivator for IT departments, right? The IT departments are trying to, um, you know, one, one possible way of looking at it, the phrasing is that they're trying to make their jobs easier, right? That's, that's a, that's a, a non-complementary, uh, perspective. And the, the other, the, if you want to flip on the other side of the continuum, you could say that it's just too much work to maintain these different um, relationships or contracts or, you know, so on. Um, so that, that, that's, that's a factor. Okay. But the, the problem is where does that lead you though? I mean, if, if you let, let's expand this into consulting, right? I mean, there are some companies that have um, a relationship with one large uh, or, 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 or two approved vendors that are consulting companies and the I, the IT department hates them both. Okay, and so what they do is they flip between the two uh, when they not perform and they say, we'll take it from you and then we'll offer it to you. And then, you know, I've had these discussions and the manager will say, I hate both of them, but I have no choice. My hands are tied. And so this is what I have to do. Right. So as soon as you put yourself into the circumstance where you're optimizing your contracts uh, and you're not focusing on business requirements, then I think that you are um, I, I think you're I think you've lost the plot. Right, because the, the, the focus should not be on, uh, if you need more people to, to hire people to manage contracts, that's not that difficult to do. You know, you, you know, may not be staffed up properly, but it, it, it can be, be done. done. And yeah. the loss in, in IT efficiency, efficiency from using single vendors is enormous. And it, it, it needs to not be discounted and, and should be considered, um, you know, in, in part of the overall, uh, you know, basically decision making. I mean, I, I and there's another problem, too. I don't find the smaller vendors anywhere near as difficult to work with as the larger vendors. I mean, I, I provide support to, to SAP, uh, to companies that are looking to purchase SAP, and SAP is a tremendously difficult vendor to work with. I mean, I could get into all the details, but the overhead of dealing with SAP is very high, and they would account for many vendors all by themselves just in terms of what they deal with. I know smaller vendors I can get on the phone, and I can get support questions answered very quickly. I can deal with people quickly, and the overhead is just incredibly um, less, uh, lower than, than, than with the mega vendors, so to speak. So anyways, I hear, I hear what he's saying. I don't accept it as a, a good reason to... Um, uh, to consolidate your purchases from the vendor, um, if they, particularly if the they cannot meet the requirements, um, or you're jamming software in uh, in order to that uh, doesn't meet does not meet requirements in order to um, you know uh, optimize contract issues or, or vendor management issues. And I, I want to add one other thing to that, which is that in the in the uh, you know the the web services or cloud services environment. That kind of argument is going to become more difficult to make, 
uh, because you can access, uh, um, you know, a great amount of um, applications, open source items that you never could access before. And you, you can access them without dealing with any sales rep at all or any sales contract at all. Uh, when I test on AWS or, or, or Google Cloud, I don't talk to anybody. I have a credit card and it goes in there. I spin up items, I bring them down. Um, and, and the, the interaction is, is zero. It's just between you and, and the website. So Sean, let's continue this dialogue. I, you know, so the average life of a best of breed vendor, and you know, I've been an old gal in this space. I've been an industry analyst for almost 20 years now, but I find the best of breed vendors have an average age of seven to 10 years, and then they get, you know, consolidated or they decide that they're going to want to merge or go out of business. Uh, and his concern was really evolution and business learning. So I agree, you know, we spin them up in the cloud. We don't have the overhead of the organizational sales rep and the contracts. But, you know, perpetuating best of breed relationships, and I love best of breed vendors. I think that's where the innovation is is also a drain on organizations. Is there a way that you've seen people do that effectively? I mean, I, you know, I just, you know, it's continued writing on my blog about company X bought company Y and what does this mean? And, you know, company X decided to, you know, morph the company. Uh, mm -hmm. what, what's your insight here? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you probably have studied, because um, I didn't know that. Uh, that 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 turnover, um, and you know, part of that is an acquisition, and then you know, in that case, it's not lost. It's just that you're dealing with a different entity, right? And um, you know, but that that can be a negative because you may you you're typically are not going to like the entity that made the acquisition as much as you like the smaller vendor. They're going to be more difficult to deal with. They'll be a bit a bigger organization. Um, so in in some cases, the support is still there. And then in the case that you that you brought up with respect to um, uh, to, you know, a vendor that disappears, uh, then then that becomes uh, a, a serious issue. Right. Um, so I think I think uh, I think that's actually a very interesting point with respect to turnover. And, and I think that that's that certainly drives companies to buy from big established vendors. Um, and then, and then the big established vendor can respond to that by not really having to be to come up with uh, with applications that are, uh, you know, that are competitive essentially in in their area. Um, so I think that's a that's a that's definitely a market problem, and I, I don't have a great answer for that question. Yeah, I don't either. And so we're going to have to wrap this one up. Uh, we'll have another one later on Oracle and Microsoft. What is your recommendation for business leaders as they're talking to IT? You know, I find that HANA is actually lower performance on time phase data and analytics, and most people talk about HANA without testing. How should business leaders engage CIOs to test before they deploy or test before they talk about project plans? So, um, so that, that is absolutely true that, that um, there's a total uh, shortage of testing, um, you know, the, the, the proposals about how things work. Um, and so um, the, 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 you know, the, the, there's a issue related to, um, you know, how testing is done 
how it's set up, how it's documented, um, you know, what things are basically um, accounted for, what assumptions are used, all those other types of things that you know very well. Um, but there's a there's a overall larger organizational issue that prevents you from even getting to that point, right? Which is the uh, the the orientation of the IT department. So if we if we look at um, IT departments um, that I've seen, they are you know basically designed to get stuff done, right? And then you have you have an, you have executives that basically make decisions, and they're tied up in a huge amount of meetings. And they don't have really very much time to uh, to, to research topics. So we, we have almost like a factory environment in, in IT uh, where there are people working in cubes and they have their heads down working on things and they're knocking things out. And then there's, there's actually a disconnect between the decision makers and the actual workers. And the problem is that the workers actually have the technical information. Right. And, and I, I and so there's, there's a lack of, of leveraging of those of the of those resources. And so you end up it's almost like where you have your manufacturing uh, department or your manufacturing part and you have your R&D in different countries, you know, and and uh, I mean, these these people are all in the same place. Not not all of them. I mean, some of them are overseas and that can be also an issue. But um, there is just sort of a lack of reality um, that and a lack of testing orientation that's in uh, that's in IT. And that that has to be altered in some way before you can get into the topics of how do you actually perform testing, right? I mean, there, there, are, base, there are very fundamental documentation limit, uh, problems um, on IT projects where I'll arrive at projects, I'll ask for documentation and someone will laugh at me or they'll point me to something and they'll tell me it's totally out of date, right? Because they lack the time uh, they say they lack the time in order to do proper documentation. So if you, if you can't even do documentation, or if you're very restricted on your ability to, to do documentation, you're going to have a hard time doing testing because you can't just do a test without documenting the test. I mean, research is fundamentally a document-based, uh, um, you know, system uh, where you you can you can you can document what happened and then you can look back on it, you know, six years later. Um, and I, I go through this all the time with IT departments, and they really fight me on documenting things and on testing things. And the argument is often used that, again, they don't have enough time to, to basically do these things. So, so, so I, I think that's probably the starting point is to make it a focus area, um, because if, if you can get to the point where you can actually do testing and you can check assumptions to determine what is true, then you can get out of having to do a lot of work that you didn't have to do in the first place, right? So I mean, so I advise companies that often don't uh, follow what I tell them, uh, and they follow a different course that I think they will they will end up regretting, um, and will end up causing them to burn a lot of hours uh, because they didn't do the initial research up front, right? So I, I think that's probably the first place to focus is is make make the case that that the orientation around testing is, 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 the, is so important. And then we can start talking about how to do it. Well, Sean, thank you for joining the show today. Any last words of wisdom before we sign out? Um, no, I think, I think that was great. Um, basically, it would be to, uh, to you know, check one's assumptions and to uh, do the research before, pull information and analysis as early as you possibly can before a project begins. Um, so that you uh, stay out of problems uh, during the project phase. That would be probably the, 
the last, uh, you know, uh, concept I'd like to communicate. The uh, <clears throat> evolution of the SAP strategy has actually been good news for the best of breed providers in the supply chain planning space. It's actually given a real boon to the evolution of modeling. So in some ways, I'm thankful. Uh, it's a lot of money that people are throwing away, which I find really sad. But the evolution of new tools on open source, I'm very excited about and look forward to continue our dialogue, Sean. Mm -hmm. That sounds great. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. Until next mm -hmm. time, this is Laura Ciceri with Straight Talk with Supply Chain Insights. Mm -hmm.